You're listening to the Superpower Up Podcast with your superpower experts. This is the place where we explore real-life superpowers and give you the tools to unlock your own. Hello, everyone. This is Tonya Don Reckla, your superpower expert, and you all are in for a treat. So I have just made a connection with this gentleman, but already my, my uh, face is glowing. I've got a smile on my face and my eyes are bright because he just has this really cool twist on things that I think you're really going to appreciate. So John Vespasian is an author of eight books about rational living. So what I love about him already is this idea of like just real down to earth, like bring it kind of energy. Like let's, let's just open the dialogue up and get real with each other. Um, which is completely in alignment with what we do over here at Superpower Experts. So we're going to talk to him about some of these. But he has a nice little twist in the sense that he looks at history. And so, um, you know, one of the superpowers that we talk about a lot is the mutations and adaptations of what is going to be brought forward in this evolution, evolutionary shift. And he's got a lot to say about that. And so we're going to talk with him today about superpowered self-growth. It's not what you think. So please join me in welcoming to the show, John Vespasian. How are you, John? Um, very well, Tony. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So John's out in the Netherlands, and he's lived in Germany and France and a number of other places. And so, so big, big, big thank you to you for uh, you know, staying up late to, to play with us today. I really appreciate it. Okay, thanks, Tony. Absolutely. So the very first question we're going to ask you is, what are your superpowers? Well, my superpower, as we are speaking about um, transition and mutation, my superpower, I would say that um, um, what I have achieved, whatever it is, with little or, or, or a lot, is from uh, transforming my irritation into uh, practical solutions. And um, I'm a person who gets uh, sometimes very, uh, very angry, very irritated uh, when things don't work. And instead of, um, of crying and, and, and railing, what I try to do is to find the practical solutions. And this is the whole approach of my books, to be very much um, solution-oriented, very practical, uh, not so much uh, psychological. I prefer to choose uh, approaches that do not require a lot of emotional energy. <laughs> I love that you just said that, that don't require a lot of emotional energy. That's perfect. So, so, so let's talk a little bit about limitations. So, so other than, you know, you, you gave us one example. So what are some other limitations that, you've either grown through yourself and transformed or that you've um, seen other people deal with in your, in your research? Well, my, um, my limitation and my constraint for many uh, years uh, has been um, uh, languages because uh, for different reasons, I have to move, uh, I live in different countries, so I have to learn new languages. And I tell you, this can be um, uh, quite a chore uh, to learn um, German or to learn French but um, through the years, I've developed like, uh, like a method uh, to do it uh, relatively quickly and inexpensively uh, because I have no choice. So in the end, uh, it turned out very well. But again, I transformed what for me was quite an irritation and quite a constraint uh, into a practical solution uh, by trial and error. And in the end, uh, it turned, turned out very well. But this is, this is I say, my, my way of thinking. Instead of uh, complaining that uh, people don't speak English everywhere, uh, well, you have to learn French, so that's tough luck, but uh, otherwise uh, you will not make a lot of friends in France. So where did all this come from? Like this desire to kind of see things differently. I know you talk a lot about how it's, you know, you, you feel like personal development based in um, <clears throat> the power of positive thinking is limited. Where, where did this come from for you? 
Well, it comes from uh, the experience of having things uh, fail um, on many occasions, because I used to be, I mean, I still am, but for many decades I've been reading books about uh, psychology, personal development, philosophy. And I have to tell you, most of them are super impractical. I mean, you read all the uh, big uh, grand ideas about um, law of attraction and positive thinking and this kind of stuff, which sounds very, very nice. But when you have to face uh, difficult problems, um, you don't really get a prescription. Uh, for solving those problems. You just get uh, sort of motivation sometimes. Sometimes uh, you try to cheer yourself up. But uh, through the years, I became very much disappointed, or at least very much uh, skeptical about these ideas. And I started to look for an alternative. And this is what uh, actually prompted me to start uh, writing books about uh, rational living, which is a different approach uh, to personal development. It's an approach based on facts, based on history, um, based on logic. So I have this different um, uh, experience that um, has pushed me to write these books, I tell you, out of uh, dissatisfaction uh, with the kind of books I could find in the market. So, what, so define rational living for us. Well, it's a very simple idea. Um, the idea that um, uh, you can do, you will do much better in life um, when you try to solve problems or you try to make decisions uh, by thinking things through uh, by taking a step back and to trying to make uh, logical decisions. So it's a very simple idea. To implement this idea in practical terms is super difficult because um, uh, all human beings, we are all uh, quite emotional. Uh, we tend to panic when we're facing um, problems. Uh, we tend to become um, suggestible. Uh, we believe in advertising, what we see on TV, we believe it's true. Uh, I mean, we have this um, very emotional nature, which is, um, uh, we're very close to animals in a way. And uh, unless you push yourself to be rational, to try to make good decisions, uh, you will make a lot of mistakes. And the whole point of my books is to try to make uh, my readers and myself a little bit more rational, uh, because even if you get 1% uh, or 2% more rational, in the long term, it will make a huge difference. So when you talk about rational, you're talking about maybe overriding the natural tendency to go into the emotional energy or, um, or how, how closely is rationality linked to logic? Um, I would say that uh, logic is an expression of rationality, but um, rationality sometimes is just the habit of, um, of taking a few seconds before speaking. I mean, it could be little things that can prevent uh, huge problems. Um, let me just give you an example from my books about um, uh, what I mean by um, rationality in, uh, compared to positive thinking. One of my favorite uh, historical uh, characters is, um, is, a, is a man called Howard Carter, who was a very famous archaeologist uh, at the beginning of the 20th century. He discovered uh, the tomb of Tutankhamun in Egypt, and he became very famous and very wealthy. And the story is fascinating because um, Carter, who was British, he spent uh, 10 years of his life making holes in the ground in Egypt. Huh? Egypt is very hot uh, in the summer. And the guy was just, um, I mean, every day was the same. He just woke up, he made holes, he tried to find this, uh, this tomb. And there's those 10 years, he was running out of money as well. I mean, it was really uh, against, the, against the clock. Everybody was telling him that he was crazy, that uh, he would never find anything, that uh, what he was looking for uh, had been pillaged. Uh, centuries ago that he had no chance to find 
anything new because in the in the twenty in the twentieth century, uh, the the professors and the the experts, everybody thought that uh, whatever was to be found in Egypt was already found. And the question is, how could this guy, um, basically in isolation, um, stay motivated for ten years? until he actually became successful at the very end of the thing. Yes, he was actually running out of money at the end. Uh, he became successful at the very last minute. How could he actually maintain his motivation, his, um, his uh, system, uh, his uh, structure for such a long time? And I found the story fascinating and I look into the details and I came with an explanation that I found very surprising. Look, um, Carter was not a very uh, intellectual person because he never went to, sc to school. I mean, he went to school, I think, like two years in his life. Uh, he never went to university. Everything he learned, he learned on his own. But um, uh, eventually, uh, he was very much focused. He uh, learned uh, to read uh, ancient Egyptian um, uh, geographics, the ancient Egyptian language, and he actually checked the sources. And he was a guy who checked um, uh, different inscriptions on the temples and he figured out that uh, they were pointing to a certain um, uh, tomb that had to be in that area. And he checked different sources. He was the only one who actually checked because nobody bothered to learn the ancient Egyptian. And he said, it has to be here. I checked the sources. And when everybody was laughing at him, he would go back and check the sources and say, no, everybody's wrong. The sources are clear, it has to be here. So he made um, a plan for excavations. He um, distributed um, the, the, um, the space in, uh, in little uh, squares and he made uh, a hole every 10 meters. And eventually he found what he was looking for and he became extremely wealthy and extremely famous. And this is the total opposite of uh, positive thinking because Carter was not optimistic. He was not a very uh, warm personality. He was a very modest and very quiet uh, person, but he was very logical. He was very much uh, persistent, very much uh, focused. And this is the kind of philosophy that I think is very easy to follow because it doesn't require you to be super motivated. It doesn't require you to be super cheerful. The only thing that requires you is really to be organized, to be disciplined, to focus on the facts, and I think is the easiest, uh, the easiest way to success. So I'm going to play a little bit of a devil's advocate here because one of, so, so the story you just shared about Carter, wouldn't you say that part of what pushed him through those three years isn't just the organization, but also the, um, the, the drive? And then where does the drive come from if not from motivation, right? Well, obviously he has uh, some motivation, but what I mean is that uh, the motivation uh, was based on facts uh, because Carter, I mean, he didn't have uh, a personal fortune. He was um, uh, certainly um, not wealthy. And the only way he had uh, to finance his, um, uh, his excavations was to get a sponsor. He, he went to the, to, the, to the United Kingdom. Uh, he talked to different people and finally he found uh, an investor and uh, they agreed uh, to split 50-50, uh, uh, whatever they found. Uh, he had to actually to keep sending uh, reports to this investor who got also very nervous. And in the end, he pulled the plug. At the very last minute, uh, Carter found what he was uh, looking for. But mm -hmm. he maintained the motivation uh, by looking at the facts because you cannot imagine the kind of um, negative uh, criticism he got. I mean, he was really crucified uh, by the newspapers, mm -hmm. Uh, by the professor, everybody was laughing at him. He was really uh, a very pathetic uh, figure. 
until he became successful. And then, uh, of course, uh, he was on top of the world. Right, of course. So, I, and that makes sense to me. So you're, ta- so you're really talking about the practical application of steps that move you in a direction. That's where that rational piece comes in, correct? Yeah. And um, I have uh, really uh, hundreds, I would say, hundreds of examples in my books because the books, uh, basically, they are compilations of uh, biographies, compilation of, of stories that I found uh, very interesting because they teach a lesson. Uh, mm-hmm. either for the positive or for the negative. I also have many uh, stories of people who became uh, extremely unsuccessful because they became very irrational. And just, just to mention briefly one of the stories, look, I, I devoted uh, one of the chapters of, um, of one of the latest book to the, to the American uh, chess player, uh, Bobby Fischer, uh, who was a world champion in the, in the 1970s. He was super famous, super wealthy, a very hard-working um, uh, guy because he actually quit school and he played chess uh, like 10 hours a day and he became extremely good. And when he was on top of the world because he became world champion by beating the Russian um, champion, uh, he went back to the US. Uh, he was on the, um, on the cover page of all magazines. He was on TV all the time and he was really uh, making a good career. And he destroyed everything within a couple of years. I mean, he made uh, such an emotional uh, mistake and such a stupid mistake that uh, it's impossible to believe. I mean, when you read his biography, you say, how is it possible that this guy did? Because he was a chess player. He, in principle, he was very logical. And he uh, started to fight uh, with the World Chess Federation about the rules uh, for the next uh, championship. It was a discussion, a stupid discussion about points or something. Uh, he became so uh, stubborn and so arrogant that actually um, uh, he, he didn't want to, um, to, to play with anybody else. Uh, in the end, um, he went to play in Serbia when there was a U.S. embargo against uh, Serbia. Uh, he went, uh, the FBI put it on the list of uh, wanted person. Uh, he was arrested at the airport in Japan. Uh, he was going to be extradited to the U.S. I mean, it was a really horrible story for mm-hmm. one of the most uh, talented uh, chess players in history. And I really analyzed the story in the book because I found it so fascinating that uh, such a logical um, personality became so completely emotional and mm-hmm. basically destroyed uh, his life. So this is the kind of stories that I find uh, very intriguing uh, because we can learn a lot uh, by other people's uh, mistakes. Absolutely. That's a powerful example. So we're going to take a quick break. You've been listening to John Vespasian here on the Superpower Up podcast. We've been talking about superpowered self-growth. It's not what you think. When we come back, we're going to really um, dive deeply into John's claim that a lot of the motivational self-help and personal development stuff out there um, isn't all that helpful. So We'll, we'll, we'll tackle that when we come back. Are you here to change the world? Do you talk about things like vibration, frequency, awakening, and consciousness? Are you pretty sure you have superpowers? The Superpower Net is unlike normal coaching programs and conscious communities. We provide training, intuitive guidance, peer-to-peer learning, intensive one-on-one coaching, and a high vibrational network of people just like you. When you join the Net, you get 24-7 access to a collaborative group of 
people who support you as you master your personal power and unlock your superpowers. If you are ready to use your superpowers to change the world, then join the Superpower Net today. Visit superpowerexperts.com slash the net to learn more. Awesome. We're back with the Superpower Up podcast. We're talking with John Vespasian about superpowered self-growth. It's not what you think. So, John, you made some a pretty bold claim at the beginning of the show that a lot of the self-help material, personal development stuff out there isn't really all that helpful, that it's, it may be good in philosophy, but as a prescription uh, for success, perhaps it falls short. That's a bold claim. What, let's talk a little bit more about that and, and what you base that on. Look, uh, if you take, uh, for instance, just the United States, uh, I think I read recently that uh, there are about 50 million people on medication because of uh, depression and stress. I mean, 50 million people is a lot. I mean, taking medication uh, almost uh, every day. And this is not an unusual situation. Eh? You have the same in some countries in Europe or in Japan. And you could not say that these people are not positive enough, that they are not cheerful, that they are not enthusiastic, that they are not having a good philosophy. I think that um, this is precisely the opposite. Uh, people try to adopt uh, this philosophy of positive thinking and they tell themselves every day, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it. And in most cases, uh, it's going to be unrealistic because you have to really find a specific uh, practical solution uh, to get things done. It's not enough uh, to try to motivate yourself by being cheerful, which is not, is not bad, but it's not sufficient. And the whole point of my books is to show uh, practical techniques uh, how, could, how could you can get uh, things done without having to become uh, very much um, emotionally involved? Because the problem with positive thinking, one of the problems is that uh, it's going to consume all your energies. I mean, just to be cheerful and, and, um, and to be enthusiastic, it can consume so much energy that uh, you don't have any, any, energy, any energy left uh, to actually do anything. And this is quite dangerous. So what I have in the books, uh, example after example, is to propose uh, practical techniques uh, to get things done. Let me just uh, give you a couple of examples. Look, uh, one of the um, things that really get uh, people down is uh, to be criticized. Uh, when, when you are working in a company or you have uh, uh, any kind of uh, visibility uh, in your position, I mean, people are going to criticize you and going to, uh, to, uh, to try to, um, uh, to bring you down. And this can happen in your circle of friends, uh, family, and, and many people take it very badly to such an extent uh, that they get depressed and they get uh, dependent on medication. And what I have tried to do in one of my tried to do in my, one of my books is to find a practical approach uh, to deal with these situations without actually having to be super. Uh, cheerful and super motivated, which is very difficult huh, when you're facing um, these kind of situations. And I found a very um, interesting prescription uh, in the life of uh, William Turner. And William Turner was to be, used to be um, a very famous uh, artist in the 19th century. He was, um, I think, one of the most successful uh, British painters in the, in the 19th century. And I found that his story fascinating. Actually, they made a movie a couple of years ago um, he was a guy who uh, was very innovative. He came up with a lot of new uh, techniques for uh, painting, but uh, most of his life uh, he was crucified by the newspapers. I mean, he was savagely attacked by all the newspapers in, uh, in London. Uh, and you have to realize that in the 19th century, 
uh, newspapers were very powerful. If you got um, uh, criticized by newspapers all the time, it was very difficult to make a career. And Turner, uh, he did a bit uh, what everybody does, who is a positive thinker. He tried uh, to, um, to become friend with the journalist, uh, to become uh, open, to discuss with them, to try to convince them that his paintings were not so bad after all. And the more he tried, the more he failed. Uh, he got uh, crucified to an extent that he could not actually go out on the street because uh, people pointed at him with the fingers, oh, this is Turner, uh, the big failure. Uh, he's Turner, the completely uh, useless uh, painter. So he did something which I found fascinating because um, he changed his approach completely. Instead of becoming a positive thinker and trying to, um, to, uh, to be cheerful and to be enthusiastic, he did exactly the opposite. He just stopped uh, reading newspapers. Uh, he stopped uh, talking to journalists and he focused 100% on his work. He became extremely efficient as a painter. Uh, he was able to produce uh, six paintings a day, which I think it was um, possibly the, the only artist in history who's been able to do uh, six paintings a day because he became very uh, productive because he found a system to accelerate uh, his creativity and he focused only on his work. He became a very good marketer by focusing in, the, in a market uh, that was very open because he focused only on lawyers and doctors. And within a few years, he became extremely wealthy to such an extent that uh, he could actually ignore the newspapers. And uh, by the time he died, uh, he was um, by far one of the wealthiest uh, artists in history. Awesome, that's a not, fantastic story. Yeah, he was not a positive thinker. He was a very shy guy, a very shy, very modest. Uh, he had uh, actually, he had a lot of uh, problems with public speaking because he was appointed at one, point, at one time, he was appointed a professor of uh, drawing and his students laughed at him because he was not able to put um, uh, two words together. But when he started to draw, uh, everybody was astonished because he had this uh, fantastic talent for drawing. So mm. I found the story fascinating because it teaches you a way to deal with these problems uh, without having to be super positive. Mm, I love that. Well, and, and it, you know, for those of you listening, like it can sound like we're talking a little bit semantics here, but I think the key point is to make sure that you're applying. It's, it's not that positive thinking is negative. It's that focusing on that as the solution, um, you know, has its flaws. And so when you're talking about super powered self-growth and really moving into some spaces of high degrees of success, um, I think what John's talking about is really powerful that it's, there's the practical, rational application of it, almost a, a myopic um, hyper-focus on the intended goal um, seems to be a, a thread that's running throughout all of these. Would you say that that's true? Um, yes, fair enough. I think it's a good description. Uh, let me give you another example to, um, to actually show a different perspective. Look, uh, one of the um, um, things that get people uh, sometimes very depressed and very anxious is uh, dating. And dating can be uh, quite um, um, uh, hard um, if you try to push yourself to do things which are unnatural to you and to actually to try to, um, to do um, things that are really not in your style. And this is a problem that uh, has been going on for, in history, I mean, for centuries. And I found a very interesting um, approach, uh, actually from the ancient uh, Romans, an author called uh, Ovid, 
who wrote uh, possibly the first uh, book about uh, personal development ever. That was uh, 20 centuries ago. He wrote a book uh, called uh, The Art of Love. And, and it's a book about name? dating. The Art of Love. It's a book about dating. And he actually gave advice uh, to young men in ancient Rome uh, how to improve their dating uh, without having to be super positive. And I found the book fascinating because people were, I mean, his friends, uh, they were, some of them were depressed, they didn't know what to do, they couldn't find uh, a woman. And Ovid um, wrote this, uh, this book uh, to give them advice. And, and he advised them to forget about uh, trying to be artificial, uh, trying to be super uh, positive or super uh, smiley if they were not that way, to try to be themselves. And in, instead of trying to do something artificial, he told them, look, in the end, uh, the best advice I can give you is that you should see uh, dating as a, as a numbers game. As a numbers game, you have to see that uh, the more you try, the more uh, women, the more potential partners you approach, uh, the higher your chances of success. And he uh, actually advised people in ancient Rome uh, to go to the theater, uh, to go to the games, to the public games, so they can actually meet more people uh, in, a, in a natural way, in a very simple um, approach, so that in the end, just by the sheer numbers of meeting uh, more people, in the end, they would find someone uh, who was um, meeting their requirements. And it's a very simple <laughs> approach. Uh, it does not require you to be super positive. It doesn't require you to change your whole life. But uh, all of it was right. If you want to get um, successful in this kind of games, it's a numbers game. So just go, um, <laughs> just go for more numbers. Uh, maybe you have to move. Uh, to a larger city, but it was a, a numbers game in 20 centuries ago. It's still a numbers game in the 21st century. Oh, that is so beautiful. So dating is a numbers game, folks. You heard it here first. That is the solution. If you're looking for uh, Mr. or Mrs. Wright, then, um, you know, go find a lot of Mr.'s or Mrs., it sounds like. So, John, that's awesome. Where can people go to find out more about you? Um, very easy to find. If you just type uh, my name, John Vespasian, on Google or Yahoo, whatever, I mean, on any uh, search engine, you just type uh, John Vespasian, you will find immediately all my stuff, my blog uh, with hundreds of uh, free articles. There is uh, a few newsletter and there are my books. All my books are available on Amazon. They're available on different uh, outlets. So it's very easy to find. Just type John Vespasian on Google and you will find it in one second. Awesome. Awesome, John. Thank you so much for joining us. You are definitely delightful and I, and I love your take on things. And, um, you know, if, we, if you take anything away from this today, folks, I think it's get up, get out there and go do something. Have a plan, get going, um, but sitting around and just thinking positively probably is not going to get you the results that you're looking for. Um, powerful information, John. Thank you for joining us today. Many thanks, uh, Tony. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, with you also. And to all of you out there, as always, we appreciate your loyalty. And until next time, go out, uncover your superpowers, and change the world. Take care, everyone. Are you ready to discover your superpowers? Go now to superpowerexperts.com and discover your superpowers today. <laughs>